0: And I think a lot of people see the same thing I see that I don't think Powell yet sees, which is that the economy is weak and about to get a lot weaker. You know, when you look at housing, you look at the inventories and in the Walmarts and targets of the world. Um, you know, you look at uh, some of the regional fed numbers, et cetera. It's all pointing to certainly an inventory correction. And I think a lot of weakness. So um, I think people are adding two and two and saying, you know, Powell's, may not yet understand how weak things are but between now and September um, there's going to be a lot of data that's going to point them in that direction. Welcome to Gold Silver
1: Pros where you'll learn the ins and outs of the gold and silver markets. Searching for the best precious metals deal? Our affiliates are of the utmost trust, quality and highest customer service in the industry. Shop with our trusted partner Arc Silver. Access special deals on silver, gold, and platinum through our website, or call 307-264-9441. Hey everybody, this is Rob Kintz with GoldSilverPros.com. It is July 28, 2022. I think we're going to have this one out the same day that we record it, because we have returning uh, one of the most popular guests on the show, David Hunter, who runs the Contrarian Macro Strategist. You can find him on Twitter at Dave H. Contrarian. Dave, how are you doing today?
0: Hey, Rob, how are you?
1: I'm doing very, very well. And I wanted to have you on right now because I think it's the perfect time to follow back up on what we talked about last time. And what we talked about earlier this year, David, was how the markets could correct and maybe come back for another stage called the melt-up. And I'll let you get into all of that theory here in a moment because I know the way the markets are right now definitely isn't where they were a year ago. But I wanted to start with a tweet that you had out. um, Actually, you put this out today, early this morning. And the tweet reads, and I, let me actually put it up on screen here, David, for people to, to follow along if they want. Sure. He said, investors are parsing Powell's words, determine if he is getting close to a pivot. What I heard yesterday was a continued focus on inflation and still a lack of awareness of the deep recession that's coming. I suspect that will change between now and the September meeting as data worsens. So, And this got a lot of play today so far, David, on, on people trying to clarify what's coming. Is it going to be the melt-up? Is it going to be... A crash? What? Explain what you think is going to happen for the rest of the year.
0: Sure. In terms of that tweet, basically, it, it was clear to me. I mean, the market ran with his comments yesterday, and I heard a lot of talk that people are saying, you know, he's he's really showing that he's ready to pivot or you know, starting to ease up on things. I didn't hear that so much. I think what may have gotten the market going or gotten people a little excited is that he said we're no longer giving forward guidance. And we're going to go meeting to meeting, and I think a lot of people see the same thing I see that I don't think Powell yet sees, which is that the economy is weak and about to get a lot weaker. You know, when you look at housing, you look at the inventories and in the WalMarts and Targets of the world. Um, you know, you look at uh, some of the regional Fed numbers, et cetera. It's all pointing to certainly an inventory correction, and I think a lot of weakness. So. Um, I think people are adding two and two and saying, you know, Powell's may not yet understand how weak things are, but between now and September, um, there's going to be a lot of data that's going to point him in that direction, which probably means we may have seen, even though he said no uh, or likely no, I think we may have seen uh, the last hike for a while. Um, And I have a feeling, uh, yeah, I mean, he could hike in September, but if the weakness is as much as I think it is going to be in the next two months, they're probably going to pause. Um, I don't know about a true pivot, but I think a pause is coming. So that may be what the market's sniffing out. I'm not sure. Um, but I do, you know, I've been pretty critical of of Paul because I think uh, he is so, uh, as I said in another tweet, he, he got burnt by his whole transitory focus on inflation Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of last year. And then he's been playing catch up all this year. And I think it's, he's just overly focused on inflation because it, it hurt his credibility. And I think as a result, that plus the feds tendency to look at headline data, which is backward looking. I think he's missing all the signals that are forward looking leading indicator type signals saying, yeah, things are slowing down, but, they're about to get a lot slower and as a result i think he's going to be as the fed always seems to be a little late to the party a little late to the recognition and uh, you know it's not a question whether they'll catch up i just think they're over tightening as a result
1: Um, yeah it seems as though they they almost knee-jerk reacted because they started with a a quarter and then they hit what was it 0.75 0.75 it was 0.5 first and then I mean, they just kept going up and accelerating, and you could tell that they were reacting to the market. It it was all the talking heads talking about, oh, no, we have high inflation.
0: I suspect
1: that the high inflation, something I put on the show recently, I suspect that the high inflation is reducing the impact of all those dollars they printed because it reduces the purchasing power, right? So do you think that they're caught in a trap where they're going to have to ease again because they have a reduced effectiveness of what they did two years ago? Is that what it is? Or do you think he's just blind to
0: what's really going on? I think he's blind to what's going on. I mean, I think he thinks he's going to engineer a soft landing. Mm-hmm. And I think we've already moved. As I say, the seeds are sown for a global bust. I think we've already moved past a soft landing in terms of policy. And again, that seems funny to say when you're only at, you know, two and a half interest rates. I mean, but the the bond market had such a dramatic increase in rates over just a few months time it's that rate of speed of, you know, rate of change of policy that I think has really clamped down on the economy. I mean, all you have to do is look at housing. When a mortgage rate goes from two and three quarters to 6% in a matter of months, of course you're going to impact. I mean, people were paying a lot of money for houses because they were getting money so cheap. And all of a sudden that cheap money went away. Mm -hmm. And, And it's not just housing, it's the refi. You know, refi was a big source of People spending so you took i mean that's totally gone so i mean i just don't think for some reason fed fed governors focus on that stuff that to me seems like economics 101 and yet they seem to react to headline numbers you know when the street gets all excited about a cpi number they get all excited about a cpi excited meaning worried <laughs> Dave, that's
1: exactly my thought. Sorry to interrupt you here, but you hit on something that that I think is key to understanding this that people aren't picking up on. The Fed reacts to the way that people react to them. It's almost as though there's this feedback loop. They do something, somebody does something else, then they got to do something. Instead of looking at the underlying fundamentals of the economy, do you think that they're more worried about the perception of what's going on than what's actually going on? And do you think that that means that they know what the eventuality is going to be? Or have they just completely stopped looking at it because it it didn't seem to me they were so shallow with their with their yeah, rhetoric well, in recent years
0: particularly they've got hundreds of economists i mm-hmm. mean you know they it's not like they lack for data right anything you know anything we can see they see 10 times the amount so maybe they maybe they get overwhelmed with the data and as a result ignore it and pay attention to mm-hmm. you know the noise out there um, right certainly it's a political situation i mean you know i'm sure he's hearing from the biden administration but yeah it's not yeah, like midterm biden.
1: elections coming up so that's always yeah. a big thing during an election yep. year for I sure
0: mean, elizabeth yeah. warren was on yesterday slamming i actually for once in my life i think i agreed with her that they were going too far but mm-hmm. but um you know so it's not like they um they don't have data but i think yes they're they're way too Tuned into um, the street and the noise, and you know, I I I will say this isn't the first time. I, for a long time back in the two thousand eight two thousand nine period, and and ever since, have said we wouldn't have had Lehman if Paulson hadn't listened to the street. Mm-hmm. The street spent many months after Bear Stearns saying, "Don't do another one. That's you know you're going to cause moral hazard, right?" Paulson did what the street told him to do, and then they got mad at him when everything fell apart or they blamed him. He was stupid enough to think the street knows what they're doing. You know, we know better, right? We know the street oftentimes gets things wrong. Mm. But I think Powell's making the same mistake as saying, Wall Street knows best, and they're telling me i got to do this. You know, how many voices are out there telling him he has to hike rates another 200 base points or, you know, all that? And I think... Again, another thing I would say is that we're paying the price for Powell being an attorney, not an economist, and for most of the governors, and this is new, but most of the governors being academics, they they don't have that street savvy to know that, hey, just because there are a lot of voices out there saying this, you know, the consensus on Wall Street is oftentimes wrong. So I, I think they are listening to way too many voices.
1: I think so too, and and I think we have to tie in the fed and their own trading because if you look at that link with wall street the fed traded uh, stocks and, and certain issuances and sold them uh, around policy i think that became pretty clear in terms of the lines of questioning so the fed is not a hundred percent independent agency they had something to gain by what the market was doing i don't know if i'd go as far as to say that they were engineering the market just for their own personal gain but certainly they stood to gain from that So maybe they're too close to the street, Dave. Maybe they have too many connections and maybe they're too well invested in it themselves that it's hard for them to serve in an independent capacity. I think that's part of the problem is everything's becoming financialized and it's hard to have an independent agency to run a central bank now because everybody's focused on the market, right? If everybody's focused on the market, you're going to get into that. And that becomes part of the blood of of the central bank. And maybe they've just lost that focus.
0: Yeah, I I would I would say and I've gotten this on Twitter a lot. I am not one in that camp that feels that there's an association between what Paul is doing Mm -hmm. and what, you know, those uh, those governors were doing. Mm -hmm. I, I think they made a huge error and it was very wrong to be trading. I was shocked when I found out that's what they were doing. I mean, right. Uh, you know, I thought that was all pretty much um, uh, against any contract they signed there. But right. But but I don't go take that the next step and say the Fed, you know, was operating as, you know, the reason they're making their mistakes is because they're doing things for themselves. Or the reason the reason they're doing what they're doing now is because they can't trade their own now or whatever. I don't think that is to do. I had that. I do feel Powell is sincere in what he's doing mm-hmm. i think he's trying his best to do what he's you know what's tape. right mm-hmm. i what i say often is he doesn't understand and again this is new to him or unique to him but he doesn't understand the leads and lags um to policy so he's focused on policy and and the reaction to that policy today whereas you know a true economist is understanding that that policy will have um, manifestations three and six months out, you know, and, and maybe longer. And so if you're going to wait until you see the results of your policy, you way overstayed, you're welcome.
1: Yeah. And, and talking about manifestations of policy, uh, you've said in this Twitter thread that we started off the conversation talking about that you believe bonds are going to go back into a bull market mode. And certainly there's been pressure on them we've had a yield curve inversion between the 10 and two year. We've had rates rising, you think bonds are gonna improve. Can you explain why you think that's the case?
0: Sure, and I, I will say specifically treasury bonds. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think all bonds will rally in, in the melt-up that we'll talk about, you know, the equity melt-up. Mm-hmm. But I think the treasury bonds are the ones that can keep going beyond that. And um, so I, I think we've seen the highs in rates. I've been saying that for a few months now. I think the 350 on the or close to 350 on the 10-year was the high um, and we're now down to 275 mm-hmm. um, I expect by the end of the year to be at 2% maybe even below 2% mm-hmm. uh, and next year in a global bust which is the extension of this recession it's something much worse I think you're going to see a 0% 10 year probably a quarter to a half on the 30 year and I actually think the 10 year is probably going to go into negative territory as much as the Fed hates negative rates they're not going to have a choice next year. The reason I'm so bullish on Treasuries is because it will be um, number one. It'll get the benefit of a Fed pivot, or you know, if the Fed uh, st- pauses on rates and if it pivots, you know, we'll see the bond market rally on that. But then beyond that, uh, it will become the place to run and hide, the place for safety. When the bond, when the equity market's going through a bear market and all assets are pretty much tumbling uh, because of a global bust, I you know I use the term global bust to describe something that I think is going to be worse than two thousand eight nine, mm-hmm. and particularly worse overseas. You know our banks are in better shape this time, so it may not be worse there, mm-hmm. but in all other aspects or many other aspects, I think it's going to be a a worse downturn then 2008-9, which means the worst in the post-World War II era, and I think probably, and the worst since the Great Depression. So, you know, we're, he- we're heading for something very bad. That's not this year. I think it, it's a recession this year that moves into something worse next year. Um, and so, you know, treasury bonds are probably the one asset uh, because of the government guarantee and because that bust, I think, is gonna be deflationary. It's a one area where people can actually see appreciation during what I think is going to be a, a tough time for everything else.
1: Yeah, we'll talk about the melt-up in, in next year here in a second. I want to go back to bonds for a moment because a lot of people see bonds as getting worse. They see this a reversal of the 40-year uh, bull market in bonds here in the U.S. We're talking treasuries, so let's just say treasuries. And- They're concerned that all the de-dollarization, the dumping outside of the U.S. is going to negatively affect bonds and maybe have to drive up yields to get people to buy them. However, what you're saying is there's still going to be that flight to safety trade, you know, as the market fundamentals worsen. Can you explain, is it possible in a world in which a lot of the bonds are being dumped around, not all of them, but a lot of the bonds are being dumped, there's some de-dollarization pressures around the world in which the bonds could improve? Is this a temporary phenomenon? And do you think that Wall Street eventually will move away from bonds, or do you think this is like the last push in bonds for safe haven status for a while?
0: Yeah, this is this is certainly going to be. I think we're coming to the end of a 40 year bond bull market, mm-hmm. um, and I think the what comes on the other side of the global bust will probably be in in seven or eight years. I think we could reverse 40 years of declines in rates. So you mm-hmm. could be back at 15% long bond by the end of the decade. That's a huge move, I mean, obviously. Yeah. So so I think this is that final flush in, in rates down to you know levels nobody could ever believe we'd see mm-hmm. because I think we're going to go, everybody's worried about inflation right now, but yeah. I think we're going into deflation next year because of how bad the economy is. Um, and that's the other thing. Is uh, you know not this year again. There is you know there's a supply demand thing where if foreigners are selling, if China's selling, or Japan is selling, um, you know that certainly adds to the supply and takes away from demand. Um, but I think there's going to be enough demand because rates are, because the economy's going into recession, there'll be enough domestic demand. Um, But the Fed may I don't know what's going to happen in the latter part of this year, in the last several months of this year, in terms of QE, Mm -hmm. they seem to be wanting to do QT. So I'm not going to assume we're going to see a Fed pivot to QE all of a sudden before Mm -hmm. they even start QT. So we could have some QT this year, Mm -hmm. but I think the demand coming from a weak economy, demand for bonds coming from investors in a weak economy will more than offset that Mm -hmm. next year. During what you know the global bust next year, I expect the Fed's balance sheet to expand from nine trillion to thirty trillion. So wow. there'll be plenty of demand for bonds. Now there's also going to be plenty of new supply of Treasuries because it's going to be accompanied by a lot of fiscal expansion. You know, but I that's why I think you can get to zero percent ten year is that sure you in, could with
1: that demand very easily you could. Yeah. yeah
0: if mm. if we and the reason I say something as outrageous as thirty trillion is I think we're going to have a free falling financial system around the world Mm -hmm. because of a lot of policy mistakes that are being made Mm -hmm. and because of what the pandemic did to make all economies fragile and what the dollar did to emerging market debt this year or emerging market economies this year. There are just so many things coming to a head here in the next year that I think lead to a financial crisis unlike any we've seen in history. Mm
1: -hmm. And the
0: the one thing I can say is more predictable than anything else I predict is how central banks will respond to that. Mm -hmm. They don't have a choice, right? They will have to print money like there's no tomorrow because it has to be done fast, has Mm -hmm. to be done in size. We will see money coming out of every central bank at levels far beyond what we saw in the last two years. And so that's why I think you have one last flush in rates before you begin a big inflation cycle, far beyond this one.
1: And I know none of us really like to call timeframes because we don't control the information and there are millions of economic decisions made every day. We just I follow milestones, right? And I just follow the milestones and say, okay, now we're into this stage, we're into this stage. But how long do you think potentially this plays out before? you get that deep crisis and then the central banks respond by reversing course and saying, we got to open the spigots. Is that something that's probably going to happen in the next couple of years? And the reason I ask is just because people are going to want to prepare. People listening to this are going to say, okay, what do I need to do to get my financial house in order? And I kind of wouldn't want to give them like a rough timeframe if at all possible. Even though I, I know it's it's hard to call specific dates.
0: Yeah, I, I get myself in trouble all the time because I pin myself yeah. down to tighter timeframes than I should, But but I really do think um, it could stretch out, certainly, you know, if, yeah. if the Fed pivots here, it could stretch my scenario out. But I basically have been saying the global bust will, you know, the the second level of this economic downturn, which is a global bust, will happen in 2023. And I think the Fed will respond in 2023. So I think the bulk of that money is, happens between early next year and mid-2024. So it's you know it's a you know 12 to 18 month time horizon where I think you'll see that kind of expansion in money, um, and the, then the lag to when that becomes an inflation cycle is probably pretty quick because of what we just had, you know, what we're right. dealing with now. So, yeah, we go from inflation that's a worry right now to I think deflation very short term next year, but I think we come right back out of that because of the massive money and by say 2025 we're already moving into you know pretty good inflation levels primarily because of commodity prices. i think you know i have a forecast that by the end of the of the decade we'll see $400 crude oil you know wti so mm. so i mean and you know copper could be you know up from 3 ne- something now to 20 or 25 dollars you know that i just think commodities are going to go through the roof for I mean, what we're seeing here in this last, you know, year is kind of a microcosm of what I think is coming in a much bigger way in mm-hmm. the twenty twenty four to twenty thirty period. Yeah, I, I
1: kind of thought somewhere in the middle of this decade we would start things would start to hit the fan in terms of it would become really apparent. And I, I think it is now. I think it's apparent of, of the economic issues, but I think it's going to start to affect the currencies and the central banks and the debt. I think somewhere middle of this decade. Hopefully that calls, right? You never know. But it right. seems like things are kind of aligning for that. So talk about what what happens after the bust. You've talked about melt-up and money printing and things like that. And specifically related to the metals. Because the metals right now, gold and silver, have not reacted You know to what's going on. They've sold off a bit. They're better off than a lot of the other asset classes. But it's not like they're rising right now. They're basically yeah, in, a, a- in a slow, moderate decline uh, the last yeah. month
0: when the metals go
1: up does it take that big melt up to occur before people say okay it's time to rotate in or do you think we may get some of that
0: before then yeah i'm pretty bullish on on the metals here and it's been a disappointment and frustration for Mm -hmm. the last two years really you know from from that august 2020 peak they just really have been frustrating ever since they started they started to come alive a couple times in there and certainly Mm -hmm. early this year and as you said, they've outperformed equities, but not in a good, you know, it's just because equities were so weak in the right. first half of this year. But, but I, I do think gold and silver, I think gold bottomed last Thursday, you know, came down on a log chart right down to the long-term trend back to, 20, back to 2001 mm-hmm. so, and, and another shorter trend uh, line. So I think gold bottomed at 1680 last, last week. Um, and I think is going to have a big move. I'm calling for 3,000 still before the the bust. So, you know, during this next six months, let's say six or nine months, but, um, and silver is a little harder because as you know, it's much more economically sensitive and we're going into a recession. Um, But I think it's going to just like stocks look over the trough. So I think you can get silver. I'm I'm still sticking to a $50 target for pre-bust. And then in the bust, you know, gold maybe comes back. I don't know if it comes from three thousand back to here, but could, um, or back to two thousand, something like that. Silver can probably get hit a lot harder. So silver, let's say it does get to fifty, could come all the way back. I mean, you know, it's because of its economic sensitivity. Um, so so it's not a straight line from here to post bust. Once you get beyond the bust, I think gold and silver become the assets of of choice uh, among all assets. So a lot of commodities will do well. Gold and silver will lead the parade. I think, you know, gold, I don't know whether it's 10,000 or 20,000, probably in excess of 10 for sure. Um, By the end of the decade, silver, I think can get to 400 and maybe that's low. Um, So there's big numbers in terms of, um, you know, even though I think the equity market in the melt up this year, we'll mm-hmm. put in a secular top that doesn't get seen again for decades, mm-hmm. multiple decades. Uh, commodities have a big bull market ahead. You know they are not near a secular top; they're in a whole different cycle.
1: Yeah, it sounds to me like you're you're you know earlier uh, a few minutes ago that you were talking about a commodity bull market. I think you just kind of called one. Um, do, how does that commodity bull market respond? You know, because base metals are up, energy's up, uh, you know, zinc, copper, uh, lead, even to some extent. That had a lot to do with restarting the economy and, I think, pent-up demand and supply chain issues. But there are longer-term needs, especially for things like copper and, and energy commodities for these emerging economies, India, China, so on and so forth. Then you've got the Middle East. And then you've got, I, I see, what I see, David, is Africa sort of emerging You've got countries down there looking to develop them. Of course, it depends on how much how good these African countries are at managing their own economies versus being I'll say colonized in a way economically colonized.
0: By they China. have to maintain their independence.
1: <laughs> yeah, you don't want China to go and take them over like the you know the british and, and Americans have have done over the years. yep but but I do see this tremendous demand for commodities. Do you think that commodities can still go up even if we're in the middle of a deflationary bust, or what does that look like to you?
0: Yeah, I don't think so. I think that's what I've meant before by saying it's not going to be linear. You know, mm-hmm. you can have this this run here. Yeah. So I, and, and even though, you know, the lumbers and the coppers that have come down so hard in the last few months, mm-hmm. I think they have another run. I'm still thinking copper might go to new highs. You know, I'm using six dollars uh, up from, you know, three fifty or wherever it is now um, before the bust even though the economy is weakening, I think there's enough demand out there and, and short supply that if, if markets start thinking the Fed to, the wind is at our back with the Fed, I think it's going to cause commodities to run. So lumber can get back over 1,000, um, know, things like that. It's not going to go back to its highs because housing has been hit, but, but it could have a rally from you know, 500 to 1,000. Um, so I think you do have a mini commodity run here before the bust. But mm-hmm. in the bust, I think commodities get hit really hard because yep. everything, you know, the economies are all around the world are going to be very weak. So, you know, demand's going to disappear. Um, so I think people have to beware, you know, because a lot of people say, well, commodities, it's a big cycle. I'm going to just hold them. And I think you can be surprised at how weak they can get next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, post, let's say by the end of 2024 or early 20, uh, end of 2023 or early 2024. You'll begin the true commodity cycle, or the next leg, which is going to be the big leg. And I think they're just, you know, it's it's across the board. It's ag commodities, it's metals, it's you know energy. I think the sky's the limit in terms of how far they can go. And part of the demand is what you said. You know, certainly EV is going to be a demand for copper and other, you know, metals. Um, you're going to have, um, I think. The big, the big fiscal expansion will be infrastructure-oriented, uh, whether it be power plants, whether it be, um, you know, it's just going to be infrastructure across the board and it's not just roads and bridges. So I think you're going you're to, and this is going to be around the world, I think there's just going to be infrastructure demand that means commodity demand. And as you know, it takes forever to build a plant or develop a mine we're just not going to have the supply to meet the demand. No. And and so the prices have to go through the roof. I mean, we've, we're, again, we're seeing a microcosm of that now. I think it's only going to be exacerbated after the bus.
1: Yeah, David, so much of what you and I do and a lot of market analysts do is we look at things as they're happening in time. But we, we look at it historically. And history really teaches us a lot. And things don't always repeat exactly. A lot of times they rhyme or you can get clues from the past. So we appreciate the fact that you've studied the markets for so long and are providing sort of a a wider term view of what's gonna happen. Last question for you, I'm gonna leave this open. Any last uh, words of wisdom uh, for the viewers on what's coming ahead? Anything that we haven't talked about?
0: Um, Yeah, because we really didn't talk about the melt up. Let me just kind of fill in the blanks there and say, you know, I really do think we've seen the lows of this correction Mm -hmm. uh, in the stock market. Um, And as I told you before the um, talk, um, I, I think there's a chance, there's a, a potential setup where you could see the S&P run to 41.50 or thereabouts you know, in the next few days and then pull back to 3,800. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to happen. It's just a possible setup. That's the only thing in the way of I think this melt-up really getting going. Okay. Uh, so you either have one more step back and then go or you just keep going here. And I believe whether it takes... Three months, six months, or eight months—it's um, something in that time frame. I think you'll go from where we are now on on in the market. You know, S and P four thousand. Um, you know, Nasdaq under twelve thousand. Um, I think you'll see S P up to six thousand and the Nasdaq up to twenty thousand. The Dow up to forty-five thousand. The Russell up to three thousand. Those are huge moves, probably unprecedented if they happen in that kind of time frame what I call a final parabolic blow off or melt up into a secular top, a secular top that I think that secular market bull market started in 1982. Uh, and that was when disinflation really started and was the wind at the back of a bull market in stock. So, so I think we are putting in a very major top either late this year or early next. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, there'll be places in the market beyond the bust after the bust you know, commodity producers, industrial stocks, you know, lots of things like that that will, will go way beyond their highs. But the indexes, I think, are seeing highs that they will not see again for decades. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think it's really important for people to understand that indexing worked very well in the last 40 years um, because of lower interest rates. If we get into an inflation environment that pushes interest rates back from 0 to 15%, uh, or thereabouts, um, you know, you're going to have P multiples contracting, and it's going to make it impossible for the indexes to move forward yep. to, to any extent. So then it becomes much more of a, a active manager stock pickers environment.
1: Yeah, maybe the end of the passive investing that we've all been so spoiled by for so long, and yep. it actually require some people to actually get out there and do some research and homework and not just throw the money at, a, at one of these uh, index funds.
0: And And the thing is, as you know, those trends, the, the winding up to 40 years, the unwind will take a lot less than 40 years, but it's going to play out over, um, you know, several years. It's not going right. to, people aren't going to all of a sudden abandon indexing. So those that can understand it early can save themselves a lot of pain.
1: Yeah. David, thank you so much for coming on the program. How can people find you if they're interested in your information? The reason I say this is you had a very, very popular service uh, on Twitter and as well as your own Uh, information that you put out how do do they go about reaching out to you
0: sure um yeah i'm on twitter every day at dave h contrarian um and you have to kind of put up with the trolls there's a lot of
1: uh, Mm -hmm. i'm a
0: contrarian so there's a lot of people that disagree with me on there so just understand it's it's not uh you know i've got plenty of silent followers that i think like what i say but you wouldn't get that flavor from the people that post there's lots of criticism but But anyway, Dave H. Contrarian, at Dave H. Contrarian is my Twitter handle. And I also put out a um, quarterly investment letter by subscription, which means it's, you know, for a price. Um, If people are interested in that, just direct message me on Twitter and I'll provide you details. Um, It's, uh, you know, it's the only thing outside of Twitter that, you know, I can kind of present my longer view like I do on interviews.
1: Right. Well, thank you so much, uh, David, for joining us back on the program. We appreciate it. And I think we're going to have a lot of fireworks going on the next few years. So definitely, we want to have you back on to help us walk through that and and explain to the viewers what's going on. When we get into market cycles like this, people, I think, are going to panic. I'm starting to see it already. I'm starting to see a lot of emails about what should I do, portfolio planning, stuff like that. And I'm not an advisor, but I think people just want to know what's going to happen you know, and, and get a realistic view. I don't think you see it in the mainstream media that much, which is why, you know, I, I love it, the fact that you're on social media, you know, given your take on what's going to happen. And uh, I, I think that provides information people aren't going to get anywhere else. So I appreciate you doing that.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's a, gu- it's a guideline. As I say, I'm not an advisor. I'm not a financial advisor either, so I can't mm-hmm. give advice, but I can provide a forecast that gives you some kind of a guideline of what's coming. And, and then you got to figure it out for yourself or get an advisor and go from there. Sure. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me on Rob. Yeah,
1: anytime. All right, we'll speak to you next time, David. Okay, take care.